Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. If you were here last week, and I believe all of you were, uh, I actually delivered the entire book as a sermon, the book of Hebrews, because essentially that is exactly what it is. A 50-minute long sermon chock full of Old Testament scripture and illustrations and some very sharp warnings, some gentle encouragements, applications, all centered on one person and trying to demonstrate to us that he is supreme, better than all things, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I have to make a promise to you this morning. We will not go for 50 minutes today. <laughs> In fact, we're just going to explore the first 18 verses of this sermon. The book of Hebrews. Now, why is it called Hebrews anyway? Well, because this uh, book is actually written in the style of a sermon that would have been delivered in a synagogue back in the days of Jesus. And the content of the sermon, I'm sure if you've read the book before or even just listening last week, the content, the illustrations, the quotes, even the argument, all draws heavily from the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, and the stories, all in a way that Hebrews, that is, Jews, Israelites, would appreciate. Particularly, it seems that the persuasion that the writer is using is trying to appeal to Hebrews who might be tempted to try to return to the old way of doing things. The old way as in life as it was before Jesus came to earth and died and was raised and was seated on an eternal throne. And to persuade his listeners, the writer of Hebrews constructs what is an elaborate argument from the lesser to the greater. So, just for example, let's say you went to your friend's house and uh, there happened to be a day-old pizza on the counter and it's from some new pizzeria in town that you haven't had before. You go over, you eat a, a slice of that cold pizza and it is the best pizza you've ever tasted. And your friend says to you, wow, if you like it cold, a day-old, how much more are you going to like it when it's fresh and hot straight out of the oven? That's an argument from the lesser to the greater. Or let's say uh, you, you really enjoyed the latest Wonder Woman movie that came out. You watched it on your laptop. Okay? And you thought it was the greatest thing you've seen all year. Well, how much more would you love it if instead of watching it on your cell phone or on your laptop screen, you got to go to the movie theater and sit in one of those big plush chairs and have a big old thing of popcorn with surround sound and a giant screen? If you loved it on the small screen, surely you would love it on the big screen. Or say that uh, I'm in Pittsburgh at my in-law's house for a Steeler football game, all right? And it's just my father-in-law and my immediate in-laws, my sister-in-law's there. Let me tell you, the environment, the atmosphere there for that two and a half, three hours is going to be intense. 
how much more intense would it be then if all of Mindy's cousins and uncles and aunts and second cousins and grandparents, her entire extended family who also live in the Pittsburgh area, all crammed into that living room to watch the Steelers play? If it's true for the lesser, how much more true must it be for the greater? If you love the cold pizza, how much more will you love it when it's hot? If you love the movie on the tiny screen, how much more will you love it in a theater? If the Steelers game is intense with the immediate family, how much more the extended family? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. And that's what the book of Hebrews is. I've actually titled our series through Hebrews, Shadow and Substance. And kind of the point of the book is if all of these things are true of the Old Testament, how much more must they be true now that Jesus has come in the New Testament? This week, the argument begins with two basic points to kick off this argument from the lesser to the greater. Two basic points and one basic responsibility for each of us. Number one, this word has a better messenger. Secondly, this word has a better message. And so thirdly, our responsibility, we must pay much closer attention. This word has a better messenger. This word has a better message. And so we, therefore, must pay much closer attention. So why don't we stand together? We're going to begin reading in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And... You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you, 
you are the saints, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You may be seated. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. This is the beginning of our argument from the lesser to the greater, and it begins with this primary point. This word has a better messenger but even before we can begin the argument, we have to deal with the basic assumption underneath this all. The argument in verse 1 takes for granted the fact that God is not silent. Our God actually speaks to us. This isn't something that, that people down through history have been able to take for granted. The gods of the nations are deaf and mute. The peoples of the earth pray to statues and idols and stars and trees and money and homes. But those statues and idols and stars and trees and money and homes never spoke back. Our God. Our God speaks, and he speaks to us. Hold up your Bible for a second. There's the evidence. He has spoken to us by the prophets, and praise God, this word has a better messenger. Today, we can say the truth. He has spoken to us by his Son. What is it that makes Jesus a better messenger? Well, the author of Hebrews provides us with four reasons why Jesus surpasses all the prophets as a messenger of the word of God. First, his identity. His identity makes him a better messenger. Listen to verse 2. It continues, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So God has written his will on this universe. And he has designated, appointed, made legal claim that all of these things that he has made should go to Jesus. He's the heir. Jesus is the heir of the Father, which means his identity is that of the Son. 
the Son of God. His identity makes him a better messenger. Secondly, his power makes him a better messenger. Continuing in verse 2. Not only was he appointed heir of all things, but through him also God created the world. And then verse 3. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Who here has seen the ocean? Yeah, all of us. All of the vast expanse of that water, as far as the eye can see, Jesus created like that. Or you've been outside and you've looked up at the sun. We haven't seen the sun in a while, but you can remember what the sun looks like, right? It's been maybe a week or so, but... Now imagine that blazing ball of fire. Jesus made hundreds of thousands of those and strew them across the universe like that. Power. That's power. Everything that exists not only was created by him, but it is the very word of Jesus that is the foundation of this universe. Everything hangs on his word depends on him for its existence. He's a better messenger because he has supreme power. Thirdly, his glory, his glory qualifies him as a better messenger. Verse 3. He is the radiance, the very radiance of the glory of God. Perhaps you remember the story when Jesus in Mark's gospel, took three of his disciples up on a mountain, and for just a very brief moment, he allowed them to witness a sliver of his glory. And Mark says that in that moment, when his glory was shining, Jesus' clothes became so radiant, they were so intensely white, it was whiter than anyone on earth could ever bleach them, Mark says. It was like so white you can't even imagine how white it was. The Old Testament tells us that when Moses would go in and speak with the Lord in the tent face to face, he would come out and his face would just be radiating with the glory of God to the point that he had to wear a face covering so he wouldn't blind the people. But the sun is that radiance. The sun is that glory. If the glory of God was reflecting that brightly off the face of Moses, how much more the face of Jesus Christ, who himself is the radiance of the glory of God. This word has a better messenger because of his identity, his power, his glory, and then fourthly, because of his character. Verse 3 continues. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The Son is the perfect imprint of the Father. In fact, this better messenger shares the very nature of God himself. In his character, that's who he is. Jesus is not merely the messenger of God, is not merely a messenger from God. Jesus, the better messenger, is God. John's Gospel, I'm sure you've heard it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
That's who we're talking about here. That's who the better messenger is. In his character, he shares the divine nature of God. And so we can realize there is no greater messenger. God cannot speak any clearer than he has spoken in the person who shares the exact imprint of his nature. And brothers and sisters, on the day that we behold the face of Jesus Christ, we will see and know God more clearly and as clearly and as fully as is humanly possible. There is no fuller knowing of God than to behold Jesus, the better messenger. Our God is not silent. And when he opens his mouth, we see Jesus. In these last times, in the grand finale, the author of Hebrews says, he has spoken to us by his son. This word has a better messenger. One who is supreme in his identity, his power, his glory, and his character. Secondly, this word has a better message. There's a better message that has come in these last days than the one that came through the prophets. It's actually a very simple message that has eternal and far-reaching ramifications that this entire sermon in 13 chapters is going to try its best to unravel for us and explain. But here is that better message in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Listen closely. After making purification for sins, he sat down. That's it. That's the better message. He, Jesus Christ, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This word has a better message. It comes to us, the good news that Jesus Christ is seated. Not just anywhere, but he's seated on the throne of God. And this is a better message than anything the prophets could ever tell the people of God in the Old Testament. Not one of them was privileged to say, the job's done. Now they told promises of God. They told the people it's going to happen. It's going to happen in the future. There's going to come a day when the Son of God and the Son of David will sit on an eternal throne. It's going to happen, but not one of the prophets could say, it's happened. It's done. It's finished. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sat. It's a better message. A better message than anything written on the tablets that God himself gave Moses on Mount Sinai. It's a better message than any covenant delivered to the people of God at the hands of angels. Jesus, the Son of God, is seated at the right hand on high. The question is, how could this be? Can this message really be true? Why is it fitting that Jesus and Jesus alone should sit at the right hand of God. What makes Jesus fit to sit? Well, it's actually the same reasons that make him a better messenger. <laughs> his identity, 
his power, his glory, and his character. Let's look at it together briefly in verse 5. Caroline, I need you to sit down. Okay, sweetie? Can you sit? All right. In verse 5, the uh, author of Hebrews actually proves that he would be an A-plus student in my class, my English class, because I tell my students the strongest proof for any argument you want to make is direct quotes. You want to prove your point, quote the source. And that's exactly what verses 5 through 13 do. Direct quotes, one after another, from the Old Testament, proving to us that Jesus is fit to sit on the throne of God. Verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. How can we know this is a better message? What qualifies Jesus to sit down at the right hand of God? His identity, which God has declared to the whole universe, this is my son. The first quote is from Psalm 12, but the second one, those of us who have been here ought to know. That's straight out of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 7, 14. The promise God makes to David about his coming son. That that son of David one day is going to prove to be the Son of God. This is the better message. The promised Son has come and He has been seated on the throne. Secondly, Jesus' power qualifies Him to be seated in heaven. Verse 6, And again, when He brings the firstborn, that is God, is bringing the firstborn into the world, He says, Let all God's angels worship Him. You guys remember the Christmas story? The night of Jesus' birth? All the starry hosts explode in worship and praise of the firstborn Son of God. Now, if they worshipped him like that on the day when he was laid in a manger, how much more do you think the angels worship him now that he is seated on the eternal throne of David in the heavenly places? His power. His power. This is a better message, not only because of the Son's identity and power, but also, thirdly, because of His glory. Verse 7. Now, of the angels, He says, He makes His angels winds and His ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, He says, Your throne, O God. That's addressing Jesus, by the way. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. What is it that radiates off of Jesus? What is this glory that pervades his kingdom and is seen radiating from him at his throne? It's his righteousness. His righteousness. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's christened. He's the Christ. He is declared the son of David and the son of God. Why? Because the scepter in his hand is perfectly straight. And his presence is glowing with justice and righteousness and no trace of wickedness. Finally, 
This is a better message because of his character. What is the character of the one who has sat down? Verse 10. Verse 10 quotes from Psalm 101. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and your hands are the work of your, the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them, roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. The character of the one seated on the throne does not change. He laid the foundation of the earth. His hands fashioned the heavens, but he himself is in his nature unchanging and impassable. Everything else changes, but the sun, he remains the same. Imagine if the king over the universe wasn't newly elected every four years. Imagine if the one who sat in the universe, the chair over the whole universe, was unmoved by whims of violence and passion and pettiness and rage. Imagine if the one who sat at the right hand of God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, and the person you're imagining is Jesus Christ. Now that is a better message. Verse 13 sums it up. To which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit, who are to inherit salvation? And this now draws us into the whole picture. We have a responsibility in the face of this better messenger and this better message. What are we to do? Verse 1 says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention. This is the application. Verse 1, chapter 2, therefore, we must pay much closer attention. Why? Lest we drift away from it. So our job, this better messenger, this better message is to make sure that we are giving our greatest attention more and more and more to this great messenger and great message. Otherwise, there are two dangers that are lurking for us that we will drift away or that we will neglect this great salvation altogether. Why does the author of Hebrews painstakingly establish that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is a better messenger than the angels. Well, I'll give you a hint. It's not because the people were in danger of worshiping angels. It's because his hearers, according to verse 2 and 3, were constantly being tempted to drift back to the old covenant, which was declared by angels, rather than to pay much closer attention to the new covenant declared by the Lord Jesus. The temptation was to drift. In 2018, a South Carolinian won $1.537 billion playing the Mega Millions. I'm not condoning playing the lottery. 
that we can sit down and talk about why I think the lottery is one of the worst things ever created. But imagine, imagine if you could call yourself in 2018, the night before the little pinballs come up. I don't know how the lottery works. I know there's six numbers you have to pick, okay? So let's say you today were able to call yourself in 2018 and tell yourself what those six numbers are going to be. Would you hope that your 2018 self would pay pretty close attention to what you're saying on the phone? And can you imagine how frustrated you would be if that person you're telling yourself from three years ago, I'm trying to give you six numbers that are going to change your life and you won't even pay attention. How frustrating that would be. I'm trying to tell you about a salvation that literally grants you eternal life. A salvation that grants you access before the creator God who made you. A salvation that makes you heir of all things. That grants you eternal purification from all of your sins. But how many of us are just drifting away? Yeah, yeah. This is a sermon on how we're all supposed to whatever and blah, blah, blah. Well, you can save it because we all know it by heart. The drifting of your ears is a sign of the drifting of your heart. Does the message bore you? Are you tired of hearing about this better messenger? Drift away from this message and this messenger to what? Other prophets, other voices, false prophets, Fox News, CNN, Facebook, Twitter, friends, co-workers, podcasts, books. Some of us are looking for a message from God and you're looking for it anywhere and everywhere else except in Jesus Christ. But what better messenger are we going to find? And what better message than the gospel? Do not drift away. We would do well to pay much closer attention. The only thing worse than drifting is outright neglect. And that's the second and final danger that the author of Hebrews warns us about this morning, that God would send a better message of salvation from sin through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, and that he would send his own son as a messenger of that news to us, and that in the face of all of that, we would neglect it, ignore it. Verse 2 of chapter 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. He's talking about the law there, the Old Testament law. How, verse 3, shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared to us at first not by angels, but by the Lord himself. And it was attested to us by those who heard, that is, his apostles, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Listen, when God speaks, we as mankind have one responsibility, and it's this, to listen. And we may have other duties beyond listening, but certainly 
When God speaks baseline, the first duty, the primary duty of every human being is to not neglect the word, but to listen. God forbid that he provide me with the education and the ability to read. Something that millions, billions of people down through history have not been able to do. He gives me the ability to read. And then he gives his prophets words direct from God to write down. And for thousands of years, men and women work hard to preserve this text to make sure that it gets into my hands. And then faithful English translators put it in words and terms that I can read. And I put it on my desk. And I never cracked the spine. What other word for it is there than neglect? Moreover, I've been given ears to listen. And here in my own town is a man who has made it his job to preach the word of God week in and week out. Heaven forbid that I should neglect to go and to listen to the word of God. God spoke to our forefathers. God has spoken to us. If you're here this morning, pay attention. God has spoken to you today. You may have come in here and you may have felt like you were in ignorance. Unfortunately, you can't claim that anymore. Christ died to save sinners. His blood has paid the full price for redemption. The Son of God, whom we all crucified, was raised from the dead and was seated on a throne to dispense forgiveness of sins to every single one of us who will just repent and believe. And so you and I are without excuse if we choose to neglect such a great salvation this morning. God has spoken to you and I by his son, a better messenger and a better message. We must pay much closer attention. Let's pray. God, we will never plumb the depths of how unworthy we are to receive your son and for him to bring a message that he himself is our righteousness and our salvation and our king and that he, our shepherd, has come to lay down his life for the sheep. Lord Jesus, we pray, send your spirit to keep us near the cross not to drift away and certainly not to neglect the reading of your word and giving our ears to listening to your word. Lord Jesus, we pray, forgive us. Renew our hope today in Jesus' name. Amen.